Today's reading is Genesis 1, 1 to 5. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly God, the God of the heavens and the earth, as we listen for your voice now, a passage like that, a cosmic passage like that, that we just read, may make us imagine that you are far away and yet somehow still aware of everything. But you have shown, we just celebrated through the Christmas season, we have shown that you did not stay far away. We ask now as we listen for your voice in a troubled world, coming to things in this time of worship, coming from places very filled with all kinds of trouble, burdens, worry, alienation, joys, celebrations, beauty, but also scarred wounds, difficulty, suffering. From all these places we come. So would you continue to reveal who you are and how we should know you and how we might draw closer to you and how your love might meet us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just read this quote because we're going to be dealing with this topic of epiphany for a few weeks here. This is from Thomas Oden. It's very simple, it's not flashy, but just hear this kind of simple quote about epiphany. He says, during epiphany, we remember the coming of the wise men uh, from the east to honor the Savior's birth, Matthew 2. As the prophets foretold, Christ, the light of the world, has penetrated the darkness, Isaiah 60, bringing justice and peace. And then the last line, because of God's grace and Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, we are offered salvation from sin, Ephesians 3. So believe it or not, with what Wednesday was for us as Americans, um, Epiphany was Wednesday, Epiphany Day, January 6th. Today can also be called Epiphany Sunday, and the season from now until we might put ashes on our foreheads on February 17 um, can be called the season of Epiphany. And so at City Life this year, we're going to use this word, Epiphany, and have it function for us as a banner word, an umbrella concept, um, a word picture that we're painting on the blank canvas of this time between you know, Wednesday, January 6th to Ash Wednesday in the beginning of Lent. That time, what, what will be surrounded by the ways in which the world around us um, is using other words to memorialize those weeks. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Inauguration Day, Black History Month, Groundhog Day, 
Lincoln's birthday, Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day, President's Day, Mardi Gras, that's all part of this little time we have ahead of us here. But in these times of worship, City Life Church is going to be calling this and thinking about this in terms of epiphany. The epiphany season follows the Christmas season. First, Jesus was born, then God began to reveal uh, himself through Jesus to the world. And the Magi story, you know the Magi story, three wise men, right? Um, the Magi story gets us off to the races for Epiphany. The story is still memorialized around the world. This is one of my favorite things I stumble upon each year because I didn't grow up with it. And so it's always kind of like, oh yeah, that's that's a thing. The, this, this concept of on Epiphany, um, people making a king's cake. And this is the cake where it's broken up into pieces and the person whose piece has the little figurine or the bean that represents the Christ child. That person then um, is the lucky person who has the responsibility of hosting a party, uh, maybe on February 2nd. And there's all kinds of traditions in different places in the world. This goes all kinds of different ways. But in, in Mexico, one of the common ways this goes, um, and for Mexican-Americans, is it's called Roscon de Reyes. And um, let me just read this. The person who finds the baby Jesus has the responsibility of hosting a dinner and providing tamales and atole, traditional Christmas foods, but which are highly labor intensive, so lucky winner, right, um, to their guests. This celebration will often include pozole, a heartwarming stew for cold weather and mornings, which is made for all of one's neighbors. Now the Magi didn't have to make pozole and have uh, all their neighbors over. The Magi found the real Christ child, not a figurine or a bean. And we can tell from the expensive gifts that they brought the child that they got it. I mean, they, they understood, they saw who he really was. Heaven breaking into earth with redemption. Creator severing the line between creator and creature to heal a broken cosmos. The Magi saw it for what it was. For um, religious Christians, this is an extremely uncomfortable fact. Our holy book eleva elevates these wise astrologists, basically, is what they are. Today, we would probably use language like, or American preachers at least, might even call them unbelievers. Or, you know, that wonderful word, the lost. Or um, maybe they'd be more generous and call them seekers. You know, they're, they're not there yet, like we are, but they're seeking. And so when they, when they fully seek, then we will reveal to them and we'll help them see what they don't have. And yet, the holy that's not how the Magi are viewed here. The, our holy book um, views these people who would have been seen by Jews of their day as unclean, pagan, idol worshipers. Our, our book elevates them to the model first responders of the Creator's arrival. The first ones to get it, to see the light, and to do and to do so without a religious book in their hand. So uh, we're just first looking at the Magi and realizing that they are an embarrassment to all who are part of the tidy religious establishment. They are 
um, a condemnation to all who imagine their religiosity gives them spiritual sight. And to those who will listen, the Magi function as an uncomfortable call to open your eyes, to view others, capital O, to view others not just as a potential target for my compassion, you know, because their ways are foreign to me, but as someone who might teach you something. Magi. I actually believe with the Magi, God is signaling something to us, and it, but it's not new. And here's where we quickly turn, and, and I really do mean quickly, we quickly turn to Genesis 1 and Mark 1. So yes, uh, I just alluded to the Magi story. That's Matthew chapter 2. Now we're going to Mark Genesis 1, Mark, Mark 1. That's three, three scripture passages for the price of one today. You're welcome. So Genesis 1, the creation story. Genesis and Mark 1, the baptism story of Jesus. Genesis 1, those verses that Jen just read us. It's, it, what we're reading there is not a religious rule book. You know, those first, those first words about creation. Nor is it a scientific pronouncement. But what we read there is an ancient work of art. Dr. Tim Keller put it once, and I think this is one of the best ways to say it, it's the song of creation. When someone writes a song about something profound, we don't read the lyric. You don't, you don't say, oh, I, oh, oh, so-and-so wrote a song. Okay, I'm going to go print out the lyrics and um, read them carefully as like a rule book or a science book. No, you, you absorb it. You let, you let it wash over you. And if you're open to it, the subject, the inspiration of that song, that work of art, comes alive in your imagination, its beauty grows and it sinks into your heart. So Genesis 1 here is a song of the beautiful wonder of an untouchable, unexaminable time when God brought matter into existence in all of its exquisite beauty. The cosmos, the heavens, and the earth. It's broad and sweeping. It's everything. And listen, this is where I'm going to make just a quick switch to say and a quick connection to say the Magi shouldn't have been a surprise because all of this cosmos has always been in God's purview. The creation account of Genesis is saying to us, God's influence is cosmic wide. God isn't restricted to your little corner of truth or geography, or tribe, or denomination. In other words, if there is a God, this God is by nature going to be far more cosmos-minded than you are. Count on it. Far less provincial, far less tribal, far less partisan. The Magi shouldn't have been a surprise if we were listening to the God who made the heavens and the earth. The cosmos. And, and we turn, last of all, to our text that marks today. Today actually is also not just kind of the opening Sunday of Epiphany, but it's talked about as the day of the Lord's baptism. Mark chapter 1 and the children's, our children's ministry, the kids at City Life have been looking at this story this week. Mark chapter 1. So let me just read something I read about this this week, this connection between Genesis 1 and Mark 1. Hear this. 
Genesis 1 is the cosmic backdrop of Jesus' baptism. Isn't that interesting? The beginning of his ministry was as earth-shaping as the creation of the world. Genesis 1 was the beginning of everything. Mark 1 is the beginning of the new everything. Mark 1. Mark 1 goes like this. And, and all around the world, Christians are reading this passage today. Just, just hear this small part of it. And listen for, do you hear any echoes of Genesis 1 as I read a few verses of Mark 1? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then a few verses later. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit, the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Like Genesis, we are told that this is the beginning of something. There is a spirit hovering over the surface of the water, and there is a definitive voice that does speak, does not speak probabilities, but does speak actualities. Let there be light. This is my beloved son. And so Jesus arrives. And Mark, when Jesus arrives, and when Mark tells the story of Jesus arriving, he doesn't want people to imagine it's a small glory story. And it's something where you can, hey, choose to interpret this cool thing happened, choose to interpret it as you will. It's not a provincial rescue. It's not a partisan triumph. It's a cosmic triumph underway. A beautiful yet broken cosmos will now be remade through Jesus. So do you hear, friends, this morning? Do you hear how... The Magi, the creation story, and the baptism of Jesus are all calling to you, inviting you to have your spiritual consciousness expanded. For you to suspect that there is a swath of reality, perhaps, maybe it's a little bit big, a swath of reality that you're not yet seeing. We can hear an invitation in this and in these stories and in the arrival of Jesus. An invitation to take the blinders off, to take in the expansive view, the cosmos, magi included, and to begin to wonder simply this. Let's end with this, friend, this question. How might you become more a part of God's kingdom if your imagination can allow that kingdom to cover more ground. And I'll just say that one more time. I, I don't have it on the screen to project, but this is how it goes. How might you become more a part of God's kingdom if your imagination can allow that kingdom to cover more ground? Let us pray. Heavenly God, may this short reflection on your words and on the unfathomable reality of your existence 
may these be used to help us grasp more and enter in more to who you really are, how you see your world, how you see us, and how we can be a part of your kingdom. Amen.